Hello and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast, season two, episode 10. As always, my name is Laura Boyle and I'm your host. So usually uh, I end up having a guest or another person here with me, uh, but thanks to our erstwhile companion, the COVID-19 virus, uh, I almost said friend there, but it's no friend of mine and not of any of yours either, I wouldn't think. Uh, my guest this week got knocked on their ass, so while they're recovering nicely, thank you in advance for your kind thoughts, uh, they're not up to recording today, and I'm not cruel enough to make someone get on the internet with me while they're recovering from COVID, so uh, I'm here alone today. So before we get to the episode that I'm bringing you instead of my planned one, uh, a couple quick pieces of housekeeping. Uh, I've put a couple of updates on the Patreon this week uh, to reflect slightly different benefits and options for patrons. So if you'd like to hop on over to patreon.com slash ready for polyamory and take a look and maybe join my patrons in earning my eternal love and also early release or exclusive content while keeping the lights on here at Ready for Polyamory. I'd love it. Uh, and as always, our blog is at www.readyforpolyamory.com and you can find the links there to all of my social media. And if you listen to this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple, or Stitcher, I'd love it if you left me a review. It helps get the podcast in more ears, which, of course, makes it easier for people to find us. I'm also going to be at the digital iteration of Tethered Together next month, which is called Tethered to Wi-Fi 2.0. That's running March 19th to the 21st. Tickets are going to be available up through the day before the event. They're going to be $25 until the end of February and then go up in price in March. I'm going to be teaching my Beyond the Kitchen Table class, which is on parallel polyamory and relationships with metamorphs. And that's going to be from 11.30 in the morning until 1 in the afternoon on Saturday the 20th. There's going to be a lot of other pretty great presenters teaching all weekend on topics related to rope, movement, and all kinds of different relationships, including a bunch of different classes on polyamory. I'd love to have some of you there for my class, uh, which is going to be kind of fun and interactive. And I'd also have fun seeing a bunch of you in other classes and socials during the So now I've gone on long enough burying the lead. When I lost my guest for this week, I was left trying to figure out what I could engagingly discuss for a half hour or so, so that all of you wouldn't be falling asleep in your seats. And I decided that my best bet was to go with a shortened version of one of the classes that I teach. And I figured that going with one of the more personal of the classes that I teach would be more interesting than something that was totally theory-based. Uh, So, welcome now to Polyamory and Power Exchange. Uh, When I teach this in person, I have a certain amount of guarantee that the room is with me, both because it's usually at a conference where people have to decide to come to the class, and because I open the class by going, okay, show of hands, who here has been in a DS relationship or is in one now? And usually about 85% of the class raises their hands. I feel like, given the tone of the podcast usually, I have a slightly different Venn diagram going into it today. 
while the overlap between poly and kink stuff is pretty high, the overlap between poly and DS as a subset of kink is not quite so high as that. So, that said, let's do some quick definitions just in case people aren't familiar with what I'm talking about. Uh, power exchange relationships, which I'm gonna interchangeably refer to as DS dynamics, are relationships that are a subset of BDSM that can take a whole bunch of forms and degrees that have as a common thread negotiated inequality between partners, control being largely or entirely held by one partner over the other. Uh, this can sort of seem to be at odds with the common language of polyamory and polyamorous theory because of the focus on autonomy and personal responsibility and intensive and ongoing communication and boundaries that polyamory seems to take. Uh, but I've found both in theory and in experience, both in my personal life and in my friends' personal lives around me, that that's not the case. This is something that can coexist with polyamory really easily, so long as people want it to, right? So the thing that I say on the blog all the time about polyamory being a choose-your-own-adventure book is really essential to this. People can do pretty much entirely what they'd like, so long as everybody's going in with their eyes open. This isn't something to sort of rush into and go, well, starting today, I'm going to decide to decide nothing about my life because I saw a secretary on Valentine's Day and I think it's the most romantic idea I've ever had. Right? That would be preposterous. But if it's something that you think is interesting, you can sort of edge into doing things differently, gradually, and figure out where your and your partner's comfort zones are. And that doesn't need to be at odds with having your own boundaries, your partner having boundaries, your metamors having boundaries, and respecting all of those. So I guess there's a certain amount of, well, who are you to talk about this, except that you went, you have some experience with this. Uh, so I suppose just like I do when I teach this as a class, I should share what experience I have with this. Uh, as I've said on the blog and in other uh, episodes, I've been poly for 13 years. I've been in engaged in play involving power exchange since early enough that the FetLife Terms of Service say I can't talk about it on their site, uh, which is like 15 plus years now, and I've been in several power exchange relationships, including one that involved an over a year stint as someone's owned property, and I'm in an ongoing DS relationship with my partner, all of which I guess is just a long way of saying the same thing. Uh, I'm doing this, so you can choose to listen to me about it, or you can decide that this isn't worth listening to someone who just has lived experience. 
I'm not sure that there's anyone who is a quote-unquote expert in this who isn't either talking from their own lived experience or from the lived experience of several others who they know. Um, there aren't great longitudinal studies on this. Um, the closest you get to that are a couple of sociological studies, none of which are particularly carefully done. Uh, I've read a lot of those studies and none of them are very clear. And none of them actually involve polyamory. <laughs> anyway, that's me digressing into nerdiness. So, rolling forward. Basically, when you start talking about polyamory and power exchange, you run into people who go, well, the problem is you can't do this with more than one person at once. It's impossible. Once you're past a certain level of power exchange, you just can't do that with more than one person. And maybe they can't. Some people feel like they can't do that with more than one person, and that's fine for them. Those are their boundaries, and those are legitimate boundaries to have. But part of the thing of having boundaries is just like it's legitimate for some people to be monogamous and some people to prefer engaging in romantic relationships or sexual relationships with more than one person, it's perfectly legitimate to choose to engage in kink or DS or power exchange relationships with more than one person. And some people think that that is more manageable if they do so by differentiating the areas of control that they give to various partners. Like, they'll differentiate uh, one person has a greater degree of control over certain areas of their life. One person has a greater level of control over clothing they wear and another over... Uh, sort of ritualized control over food that they eat or over uh, their actions when they enter their home or things like this, right? They build different patterns and habits with different partners. Or they have different, I hate to say levels of relationship because it's not that it's levels, it's that they're sort of, they have different degrees of relationship. It's like if you're nesting partners with one person and not with another, you have very different relationships with each of those people. And you can do the same thing, but from a DS point of view. So like you might have a bedroom only DS relationship with one person and a, not 24-7, but a except when you're with your other partner DS relationship with another partner, right? So I've had two DS relationships at once where with one person, they were 
sort of managing my time, except when I was with other partners, right? It only shut off when I was spending time with other people. And that worked for us. And I've known many people who that's how they manage to be polyamorous, but still do DS relationships, right? It only shuts off when they're seeing other people. And I think that sort of on and off thing is pretty common among people who are both polyamorous and in power exchange relationships. That's a negotiated feature of their power exchange. Other people prefer to do negotiations of things like, oh, well, our power exchange is transitive, so if their dom is a switch, whoever their dom ends up submitting to becomes additionally someone with authority over the sub who's at the bottom of the stack, as it were, right? That's not super common, but it's a thing that people might negotiate. Uh, that's a situation that I only ever encountered as a problem or a hypothetical or a someone made this assumption as a beginner problem that then got hand waved away or negotiated away once people actually sat down and talked about it. Except that it got brought up as a hypothetical or a thing you were going to run into in every article and book about the subject. The times when it's ended up being a real-life concern have really been when it's either been a harmful relationship, either for me or for friends, someone who was intentionally trying to step on boundaries by forcing additional relationships, like in the episode from season one on metamors when Seva was describing the relationship that she was somewhat forced into by her hinge partner where they insisted that she sort of be her metamors keeper um and eventually she ended up in a quasi-romantic relationship with that metamor because in needing to spend so much time with that person and in needing to spend so much time processing the emotions of that person, they ended up in a functionally romantic uh, position because they didn't have vocabulary for being anything else to one another. Um, or in the case of a relationship that I was in where I was with a person who... In hindsight, I think they're the only person I would use the word abusive to describe my relationship to. Um, he's the only person I know who ever tried to use the, well, I'm with this person and 
they're in a power exchange relationship with me, so I'm going to pass on the dynamic of that to you, and you need to accept that. Uh, and it was just a heaping spoonful of bullshit. Um, because if someone doesn't ask you those questions, they just insist upon them. Generally, that is a big red flag. Uh, and sometimes when you're deep enough in a relationship, uh, or wearing rose-colored enough glasses, red flags just look like flags. But regardless, uh, they remain red when they're stepping on your boundaries. So, I guess the point that I'm trying to get across is that unless these relationships include the negotiation that really is at the core of all play and all dynamics and all BDSM practice, DS isn't what's happening, right? So if you haven't got real underpinning negotiation and you haven't got a healthy dynamic underlying it, then you're not in a good situation, right? But if you do have all of that going on, then the fact that you're polyamorous isn't what's complicating your situation, right? So what polyamory does complicate is the number of people and the number of boundaries you have to consider. So, as always, the more people you add, the more boundaries you have to consider. And the, the number of moving parts there are. So, the more, the more moving parts there are, the more places there are for change. Right, so every time there is a change in anyone's relationship status, anytime a new metamor is added, anytime a metamor has a major life change, anytime your hinge has a major life change, you need to be able to sit down and have talks about that, have real, real discussions and real negotiations about that as needed. And if your dynamic is so lopsided um, that in dynamic you're not having those, then you need to be able to sort of create a container for having those discussions. So I think most people's dynamics leave space for having those conversations regardless of the dynamic. But if for some reason yours doesn't, if you're extremely extremely protocol heavy, then you need to create a sort of container for that. Um, you need to create a, an egalitarian space for it to call out the need for that. 
uh, or to indicate the need for that and then step sideways into it separately from your usual dynamic, right? So that for a few minutes, for 30 minutes or an hour, you guys can negotiate that and you can be person A and person B instead of dominant and submissive, right? And I don't know, maybe this has ended up being much more theory heavy than I kind of anticipated it being. But like, for me, these sorts of things end up happening when like, there's a breakup. So when I had my last breakup a couple of years ago, basically, I ended up having to have a really intense conversation with my partner, who is my dominant, about what that was going to mean for our relationship. Was it going to change any parts of our relationship? Was it going to affect any of our non-escalator portions of our relationship? Was it not going to? Was it going to change what what components of our relationship were affected by our DS? Was it not going to? And mostly it didn't. Um, a little bit, it increased the, the degree to which he's sort of my emotional anchor. Um, it's sort of hard for him not to be, given that he's my only partner for quite a bit of time now, a little bit longer than I think either of us anticipated, mostly because of COVID. Um, but... Even before COVID, it had been about a year. And it uh, it was this thing where he was like, no, I mean, I love you and I'm happy to hold this space for you, but we're not going to escalator and we're never going to move in together and there's all of these things that aren't going to happen. But what are are these emotional things and this amount of space holding for each other and so long as we're both okay with that we can be at this level that we're at forever and for me knowing that we could be at this level of emotional intimacy and vulnerability and holding space for each other for literally ever was really important and knowing so as someone who had been in a bunch of DS relationships but even when I'd been with someone who had been like, I'm super into MS things, I'm declaring you my property, I'm doing all of these big steps, but the only collar you're going to have is for play, this is not a real one, I'm not taking these other steps, and had made it like a really kind of mind-fucky thing, 
having this partner who I have now make it a really stabilizing part of our relationship that we gradually worked up to that being a milestone in our relationship giving me a collar and then going you have this now this is our milestone in our relationship we have reached this this is the sort of top point on the DS escalator we can reach we are here we are staying here forever um has been a really big deal for me and sorry I'm getting kind of emotional and I want to do that with other partners who I intend to also spend a long time with in my life because this is an important part of my relationshiping. Um, it's a big part of how I romantically interact. Uh, and I... This is part of why I think it's important to acknowledge that in polyamory, so long as you negotiate everything and so long as everyone is on the same page about we're all different people, so each relationship is its own thing. Everyone has their own dynamic. So you can distinguish really similar dynamics in really small ways and it makes them their own, right? I've been in two relationships that maybe from the outside look really similar. They're both kink-heavy relationships with similar accoutrements that have lasted a similar amount of time, that do similar things that, like, you can tell them apart by, like, oh, they've got slightly different nicknames from one another, and they, you know, lived in different neighborhoods. But for the two of them, there were a hundred small details that were different that the people on the outside would never have noticed. For the two of them, one of them was a music lover and the other one was a theater guy. One of them was super into books and the other one went to the movies with me all the time. Right, there were a hundred little tiny, one of them had a favorite breakfast place that we went to all the other all the time, and the other one was into diners and late night things. A million little tiny things. One of them went and like took me on a date where we built a snow fort. Little tiny things that built these narratives for us at the time. 
And so for me, the relationships were these gorgeously unique things, but people who weren't us were like, so you have two boyfriends who are both daddy doms who do the same kink stuff, so you got a type, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I do. Do you have a problem with that? So whether you have enough of a type that, like, there might be some issue with people being a little bit insecure and having some need to be reassured about how they're unique, you can offer your partners that reassurance. You know what the hundred ways that someone is unique to you. You will be able to reassure someone. I had a friend who basically had an issue where their relationship their relationship as it was sort of reopening uh, had some issues because the first person that their partner started seeing upon their relationship reopening after a period of closedness their partner started using the same nicknames, the same order of dates and playing with the same kinks in the same exact order they had done with them. Like, nothing was in a different order, nothing was done differently, the nicknames were the same, just nothing was different. So try to be a little bit sensitive to your partner's needs and like if you're a person who dates in a pattern warn your partner try to do some things differently think about it a little because just doing tiny little differentiations will really help but in and of itself DS is not a reason that your differentiation won't work and yes, it's not a reason that poly won't work. And it's not a reason that your boundaries can't be followed. If you're somebody who doesn't do DS and you're uncomfortable that your partner is really into this with someone else, it's usually just a matter of figuring out what things about it are uncomfortable and determining where the boundaries actually lie. So it's very reasonable to not want too many details about your partner's sex with someone else. It's like if you don't want to hear details of what your partner's doing with someone else, that's reasonable whether or not it's different than how they're doing things with you. If it's something where you were into it when it was the same as with you, and now you're not, then you might run into a little bit of a problem because your partner had one expectation and now it's different. 
but honestly, it's a changed boundary that you can probably work around. It's not that big a deal. Have a conversation. I understand that I'm saying that flippantly, but honestly, a couple of conversations and you guys can work out moving that. It's a shift in expectations. If it's a shift in expectations that hurts their feelings because they feel like it's a rejection of them, then you maybe need to go and have a couple of therapy appointments about it. And yes, I know that's sometimes easier said than done. I've been there. I have literally been there. (laughs) But honestly, it's work that's important. And it's work that you'll figure out how to do. So that's really my only advice on that front. Other advice is basically hold your boundaries no matter what they are and no matter which side of it you're on. Try to not be judgmental no matter which side of it you're on and hold some boundaries. That's about it. And like when you find what you're looking for, no matter what it is, Hold on to it. So, this has been the Ready for Polyamory podcast, season two, episode 10. My name is Laura Boyle. Thank you for listening. As always, you can find the blog at www.readyforpolyamory.com. The Patreon is at patreon.com slash readyforpolyamory. Uh, I hope you can go there and subscribe. The Ko-Fi and all the social media can be found in the uh, episode description below. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.